Across the United States, drug overdose is the leading cause of death. According to 2020 federal statistics, Delaware has the third highest overdose rate per capita, surpassed only by West Virginia and Kentucky. Through November 30th of 2022, the Division of Forensic Science recorded 376 deaths related to or classified as suspected overdoses here in the first state, representing an 18% increase when compared to 2021. On this episode of Whip Count, we'll hear firsthand how the accidental overdose death of her son prompted Mary Beth Sahaki to work with the legislator on a variety of substance use disorder issues, including the Matthew D. Klohowski Act, introduced by Representative Carrie Evelyn Harris. Representative Carrie Evelyn Harris will explain how her legislation, House Bill 114, would provide a more structured and positive pathway out of addiction by setting standards and certification requirements for recovery homes operating across our state. From the Delaware House Democratic Caucus, this is Whip Count. All right, so today we are going to welcome our freshman representative here, doing some big things, Representative Carrie Evelyn Harris. And we also have with us a substance use disorder advocate and author and mother, Mary Beth Sahaki. So welcome both of you to Whip Count. So at the beginning of the episode, which you guys uh, were unfortunately not here for, I discussed how Delaware has the third highest overdose death rate in the entire country. Mary Beth, sadly, this is something that you've experienced firsthand with the loss of your son, Matthew. So to kick off this conversation, could you share a little bit about Matthew, uh, some personal stories from him and how you got started on this journey of advocacy? Oh, Matt, he was just an amazing man. Um, you know, even as a young boy, he always wanted to save people and, and animals. So I always had a house full of homeless animals. And as he grew, um, you know, he would reach out to people. He actually taught me, you know, how to give and to look at the soul rather than the body. He owned a home in Lewis. He was a car mechanic and he just loved his job and was just flourishing. And I remember one day he called me and he said, Mom, I lifted an engine out of a car and I, something in my back popped and I can't walk today. So I said, okay, Matt. I said, um, you know, take it easy, Motrin, ice heat. Well, he got so bad he went to the emergency room down there and, of course, didn't do an x-ray, didn't do an MRI. They gave him Percocet. Told him take it every four to six hours. So he came home and he told me, and I, you know, I was kind of like, ugh, they don't even know what they're treating, but yet they're giving you an opioid that's highly addictive. So I kind of warned him, and I could see as the weeks were going on, I could see changes in his behavior. I would go down to the beach house because we both love the beach, and that's really our big connection. And I'd see um, bills unpaid, uh, the house unkept, and that wasn't mad. He had two dogs. Uh, labs and um, there were dust bunnies of fur and I thought mm, this is not good so I brought him up and I had a consult with a neurosurgeon up here in Delaware and they said you know he absolutely needed surgery they were appalled at the amount of Percocet that he was taking that you know these so-called pain management doctors got away with just prescribing killer amounts of opioids so he came up he had his back surgery and he was doing very well Little did I know that Christiana referred him to uh, Delaware Pain Management Associates. So he started going there. And I, once again, here we go. It was like uh, deja vu. 
I could see, you know, the head nod. He wasn't able to hold a conversation. He was just very slow. And when I saw his prescriptions, uh, it was Percocet, 160, 30 milligrams every month for cash or credit card only. So I made copies of these and they were also giving him methadone, 10 milligrams, 90 a month. I made copies of the um, prescriptions and I confronted him and he said, you know, mom, they're telling me to do this. Um, I have to follow doctor's orders and I don't want to be in pain. And I understood that. So I ended up going to, at that time, the attorney general was Matt Dunn, showed him the prescriptions. And I said, you know, we need to do something because this, they're killing people. And um, that's how my advocacy really started through then attorney general Matt Dunn. We investigated and of course, sadly, Matthew was kicked out of their program and never weaned, never given anything to help him with the withdrawal process. And that's when hell started. Um, he lost everything. He lost his business. He lost the beach house. He moved home with me. And that's when I got a firsthand education on how ugly and stigmatized the disease of addiction truly was. Um, he fought so hard to get into treatment but the insurance industry did not recognize parity and they did everything in their power to cut time. They would give him seven days here, seven days there. Just when he was starting to feel like a human being again, he was kicked out because the insurance refused to pay. So it, it was, I called it the revolving door of addiction because that's exactly what it was. Um, when he was finally able to get clean, oh, it was just such a gift from God. He even said to me, you know, mom, I feel human again. I can taste food. I can smell. I just appreciate life so much. But then, you know, they never have enough time in treatment and there are no, were no resources in Delaware. So, you know, he would relapse and then, you know, the cycle would start again. His final treatment was in um, Kenneth Square in Bowling Green because, like I said, we had nothing in Delaware. And sadly, from there, you, you want to believe they're professionals. You want to believe that they know what they're talking about. They told us that the best place for Matt to go would be Boca Raton, Florida, because, you know, to get away, the, the theory then was to get away from people, places, and things, not realizing that that means you're getting away from your family, which is your support system. But, you know, I wanted to listen to the professionals, and, you know, Matt was on board. He loved the beach. He missed the beach. And course the weather in Florida you know you can't beat that so he went and um, little did I know that I was sending him into the worst place I could have ever sent him and I I still have so many regrets that I didn't do my research when I should have and he lasted six months and um, you know there was a night I, I'd spoken to him at 623 on a Friday night he sounded fine no red flags Usually when he was using, he, his verbiage would change. He'd call me mama or, you know, different things. And my red flags would go up. We had a beautiful conversation. He was leaving his job and going back to his so-called sober home. And um, he was going to go to the beach the next day. And I said, you know, Matt, just take care and I love you. And he said, I love you too, mom. I'll talk to you tomorrow. Little did I know that he had relapsed in the middle of the night, 2.30 in the morning. The sober homeowner, rather than taking him to a treatment facility, the emergency room, somewhere where he would get care, dumped him at the Boca Inn. And he died at uh, 
4.50 in the morning. Um, and that's a call no one ever wants to get. I'm just so glad that our last conversation ended with I love you because I know that he knew that no matter what he did, no matter how bad the disease got, no matter how ugly things were, that I never stopped loving him. Well, thank you so much for sharing your story because I know it can't be easy for you as a mother to have to relive that that heartbreak time and time again. But I think that it's so important for people to hear that and to understand the life or death situation that this bill represents and that this situation for families not only in Delaware can be very confusing, very complicated, and families need to feel that they can leave their loved one who's in such a vulnerable position uh, in the hands of someone that's responsible and in the hands of, of somebody who's certified. Um, with that, I want to turn it over to our representative, Carrie Evelyn Harris, to describe these challenges that families are facing and the need for this legislation. Absolutely. Um, Mary Beth mentioned it as she was speaking about the research she did to try to help her son. Before the mics were turned on, she mentioned um, her own health issues and how it was different with, with the treatment of your cancer. What we know about substance abuse is it is a health issue. It is a disease. And in fact, it's covered under the Americans with Disabilities Act as a disease. And so we need to start making sure that families aren't searching. You're not searching to try to figure out what the next steps are. It pains me to hear that you have regrets, and I think loss of anyone, regardless of whether it's recovery or any form of, of death, you're always wondering if you've done enough. I have no doubt that you did all you can or could have, and I know that because you didn't stop at 4.50 in the morning the day that Matt was lost. You continued and fought to make sure that nobody else falls through the cracks, or at least you, the best effort is given. And what this legislation can do is recognize everybody's individual journey. We talk about Matt. I asked for the bill to have the number 114 is normally how we would say it, but I say 11-4 because it is the birth date of one of my closest, closest cousins who has her own journey with addiction. And it was when I was asked to take this on, it was important to me to remember everybody is different. And when we're talking about recovery, whether it's Matt or my cousin, we have to make sure our recovery houses see people as individuals. Their healthcare has to be seen as an individual plan so that they can be made whole again for themselves and for their families and for society. And what we can do in the certification process is make sure that there is less legwork because every moment makes a difference in recovery and the less time that the next Mary Beth or the next Matt or the next me is trying to find help for my family member, their family member, themselves, uh, that time is cut back and they're placed in facilities that actually help with recovery and don't cause further harm. Yeah, I think that's really important because the, the point you mentioned that time is so valuable in that situation. Um, so with that, I just hope we could dive a little bit more into the bill what would these standards and certifications mean, and, and how would that process work so that families like yours could find a house easily? Yeah, so uh, what will happen is DSAM, which is the Delaware Department for Substance Abuse and Mental Health, they will find a certifying agency that will go through and figure out how do we make sure that Delaware is meeting the national standards. 
which are set by the National Alliance for uh, Recovery Residencies, we will create something similar called, instead of NAR, which is the acronym, it will be DAR, so the Delaware Alliance for uh, Residence Recovery, Recovery Residencies. And what this will mean is we will look at best practices. How do we make a person whole? How do we make sure that the, the residences themselves, who in large part are open f- with the best intentions, are receiving the training they need to constantly be evolving and meeting the needs of those who are living with them. We want to make sure that the community is educated on what are the next steps, how do you help somebody within your family or a neighbor or somebody you see that is in crisis. And so the process is going to be a, a, the selection of a certifying uh, agency. Then what we will do is work as legislators, as community members, to give our input. What are our experiences? What do we, would we like to see? But then also have those fall in line with what uh, national um, best practices are um, currently in place. And it will be an ongoing process. Previous iterations would have said that once you're certified, you're certified for life as a residency, uh, but now there will be a two, every two years, you will have to recertify. The reason that was changed is so that in any journey you have, you are constantly learning. And if we think that we've done enough with one certification, if something changes, it can slip through the cracks. Or if somebody is currently in best practices, um, sometimes we become complacent. And this will make sure that people are constantly paying attention to ensuring that their residencies are top-notch. And it will also allow the state of Delaware to make sure we are properly resourcing. If we're not checking in, um, 10, 15 years down the road, people will say, well, what about my child? This happened. Uh, And this will make sure that we are always keeping those who are in recovery at the very forefront of our legislation. And so those are some differences. Those are the key pieces. The exact certification process will be formed. Um, but ultimately everybody needs to know that it will center those who are in recovery uh, and making sure that they are receiving the need they need, the, the care they need on an individual basis. Thank you for that because I think that gives folks a really detailed explanation of how this process was going to go. And now that we do have that background information, I wanted to turn it back to Mary Beth and just ask her, I understand that you're not only an advocate in Delaware, but nationally for, for parents that might be in your situation. So what does it mean to see this bill come to life in your own home state? Oh, wow. You know, I, I, I've dreamed of this. Um, it's been a long fight, and um, we've worked on this bill for three years. And, uh, uh, oh, my God, I, I, just, I, I'm, I just appreciate Delaware. I mean, in all my advocacy work, um, the House, the Senate, they've always been so supportive. Um, we're a small state, but we're a mighty state. And I think, I um, hope that we will set a precedent so that other states will look at our bill and want to follow suit to keep everyone living in a sober home environment safe and treated like human beings, not a commodity of, of money for someone to live off of, you, you know, just to make money off someone who's vulnerable. People need to be respected for who they are, for what they've been through, for their struggle for addiction, and now that they are reaching recovery, we need to lift them up as much as we can and support them with compassion and love. Yeah, I think that compassion is is so important, and and to pair that compassion and empathy that we hope people working in that spot would have with standards to ensure that we know what's going on in these houses is going to be an important step forward for uh, addiction treatment. Um, I know we only have a short amount of time left, so I wanted to make sure if you guys had any closing thoughts that you were able to share those. I just want people 
across our country to recognize that disease, that addiction is a disease. It is not a self-inflicted. People do not want to take these medications. They don't want to exhibit the behaviors that the addiction, you know, makes them. Nobody wants to hurt their family members. It, it is a disease. And as soon as the insurance industry and the medical community begin to recognize that, I think we will really be on the right line of saving lives. And we just need to stop the stigma because every life matters. I don't know that there's much uh, that I can add to that. I think that was perfect. And um, just to add that something I said during the hearing, which is if you don't realize that substance abuse is touching your life, you're not looking hard enough or asking the right questions uh, to those you love, whether friends or family or coworkers. Um, it is heavy. It's touching all of us. And we all need to be on board to, to stop it. Ideally, sober living homes or recovery houses should offer structure and independence to those on a recovery journey. In the best case scenario, these recovery homes have rules, provide mental health services and addiction counseling, offer assistance with job training, and help the resident maintain full-time employment, go to school, or volunteer within the community. However, here in Delaware, some recovery houses have been falling short of providing a pathway out of addiction. With no certification requirement, set of operating standards, or state oversight, the impacts of which can be deadly and devastating. In fact, for our guests, Mary Beth Sahaki and Representative Harris, that lack of oversight serves as a motivating factor for House Bill 11-4, also known as the Matthew D. Kowalski Act. From the Delaware House Democratic Caucus, this is Whip Count. If you'd like to keep up to date with the latest happenings at Legislative Hall, you can follow Whip Count wherever you find your podcasts. You can also follow the Delaware House Democratic Caucus on Facebook at DE House Dems, on Instagram, DE House Dems, and on Twitter at DE House Dems. <laughs>